Hi, I'm Jeremy Kirk, Executive Editor with Information Security Media Group. Credential theft remains one of the most common ways that organizations are compromised. Phishing remains an ever-present risk to organizations, and there's some quite clever techniques that are being used to get around MFA. But there are solutions for this. With me today is Brett Winterford, who's the Regional Chief Security Officer with Okta in Asia Pacific and Japan. Thanks for thanks for joining me, Brett. No worries. Good day. Good to uh, good to chat to you, Jeremy. So I want to talk about uh, MFA in general and also like MFA adoption. And so to just kind of set the framework here, I see various figures around, uh, you know, MFA adoption enterprises. And it seems like about sort of 50% are doing some form of MFA. Is that kind of where we're at with this on an enterprise level, at least? Uh, 50% probably sounds like a, a, a reasonable proxy because it, it varies pretty widely but between platforms. Obviously, if, if you're uh, Salesforce.com, for example, they're mandating MFA, so you're going to be 100%. Um, most of Okta's workforce customers are going to be using MFA because that's one of the main reasons that they will use Okta because of the choice of authenticators that we offer. Um, but then there are other environments, there are other, you know, large enterprise uh, cloud platforms where you're seeing, you know, user user rates of about, you know, 25% and even admin rates of only 30 or 40%. So there are some pretty horrifying um, stats out there as well of, of just, um, how low MFA adoption is in some enterprise contexts. Um, for me, I think the bigger challenge is even not necessarily whether or not the organization supports MFA, but MFA coverage, where are they applying MFA? And is it being applied fairly universally? Is it only being applied for remote access to a network? Is it only being applied for access to specific cloud applications? Is it being applied to, to servers and other like privileged resources? Sometimes, you know, organizations will only choose to apply it for a subset of uh, resources or a subset of users or a specific use case. So the question I'm often asking is, you know, uh, you know, what is the end-to-end -end flow looking like for, for your users um, and, and, and what, uh, what assurance do you have in, in, in that process? Um, the, good, the good thing for me is, you know, I look at the industry rates and I can see that our, that our customers are two to three times more likely to use MFA than anyone else. But any gaps still are motivated personally to to drive them up. As best and is it still kind of like convenience? It seems to be the the barrier rather than than cost for those organizations that are, I guess, a little, a little bit reluctant to universally apply it. The cost only really comes into it when you're talking about physical authenticators like security keys. Um, otherwise, it's never really about cost. There's cost of change. In other words, if you've got your users familiar with a particular authentication flow and then some new security research comes out and the security team says, whoa, 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 we, we've really got to step this up. Sometimes you have, you know, business owners coming back and saying, well, um, the cost of change of having to communicate the change and having the disruption to, to the authentication flow for the users might be something that, that they don't find um, uh, acceptable. Um, and it typically, they only make a change when, the alternative form of authentication is actually more convenient, as you say, or because they've recently suffered a security incident and, and it's they've seen it directly and understand that they really need to uh, to, to change the, the, the mix. Right. And we've, we've seen, I mean, you know, particularly here in Australia, you know, Medibank, the big health insurer, you know, they came out and said that it was uh, stolen credentials for privileged, you know, basically privileged access of someone who could get access to the medical records was one of the other claims records. Uh, 
you know, was the result of their attack. And so, you know, probably I think I saw even an Octa statistic that, you know, 70, 80 percent attacks were rooted in sort of stolen credentials. And is that I mean, you know, I mean, attackers don't tend to do anything more uh, deeper when the easy stuff works. And so I guess why do you think that, that maybe that message isn't sort of getting out to the ones that haven't had a security incident, that this is kind of like an essential control and also one increasingly required by cyber insurers as well, too? Yeah, it is interesting. Um, I think that we all want to believe that um, the adversary that's going to own up our network is going to do so through some sophisticated means. Uh, when, when quite often it's it's the very the, the very basic uh, basic issues like um, you know credential hygiene and and uh, etc. That, that that lead to the most issues. I mean, we still see attacks that you know you would have written about at the start of your career uh, are as prominent today as they as they were. In the past, the tooling changes, the, the the tradecraft changes, but you know, credential stuffing and phishing are still you know the primary causes of of uh, of attacks on a web application today. I want to talk a little bit about phishing resistance too, and you know, like a whole lot about this, and right. So you can have MFA, you can have MFA over an app where somebody's entering a code, which of course can be phished, and then you have increasingly, I guess, increasing sort of. Um, uh, uh, defenses that you can put in, like for instance, you can have it uh, number matching on the push, uh, and then you can even go to one-time passwords, uh, mobile push notifications, uh, token-based OTP, and then all the way up at the high end, you've got FIDO. So, tell me about how are organizations viewing that progression of like, well, even if you have MFA, you still can be quite vulnerable to phishing, and we've seen some, you know, Uber and Twilio and some other ones affected by affected by this. Yeah, I think that it's been interesting to to see folks, I guess, recognize things that maybe the security community already knew, but more broadly in the technology sector and, and certainly in the business environment, people weren't familiar with that. While the you know the threat posed by phishing has evolved quite substantially over the past five years, um, we shouldn't assume that our uh, attackers are making use only of of static credential phishing kits. That, that capture a username and password. Obviously, that's not where modern phishing kits end. At one end of the spectrum, you've got tools like CredSniper, which simply capture the OTP after capturing the password. I mean, that's pretty simple. Um, and, and the real magic for a lot of these tools is, is how quickly they can pipe that, that those stolen credentials and OTP off to some external service where the attacker can make use of it within the validity of the OTP. And I forget which which attack was it that the credentials were going to Telegram instantly, and then they were scooped up by the attackers there. Yep, the uh, Scatterswine uh, yes. attacks that we wrote about. Yep, they yeah. they were, and and that's a pretty common thing, right? Write a phishing kit that then just pipes out the the stolen uh, credentials and, and OTPs to to a Telegram channel. Pretty pretty popular. Or you've got the OTP interception bots um, that um, that basically authenticate on the on the user's behalf immediately. Um, using the stolen materials. Um, you know, these are simple kits, but they're pretty effective at scale. Um, and then obviously uh, the more, I mean, more advanced, I, again, not really that that advanced in, in that they've been around since 2017, but the, the real-time adversary in the middle fishing kits um, are, are being used far more often these days in our experience. Um, over 50% of the of the phishing uh, kits that we detect proactively on behalf of our customers are using those tools now. So that's, you know, that's a huge leap on a couple of years ago. Um, I'm 
you know, and those are uh, those are capturing cookies. Let's talk a little bit about that, right? Because yep. they're mm -hmm. they're actually logging you in. There's a phishing site that's logging you in uh, to the legitimate service, like looking like oh, it's but it is sitting in the middle. And then when it's coming back with the session token, grabbing that session token and then able to use that at least for the for the life of the token. Is that how? Is that exactly how for the life of the token and for whatever resources that user is authenticated to. So basically the the attacker gets to assume the same session as le the legitimate user and the legitimate user is probably less likely to be aware that they've been fished because instead of being dropped off at, a, at an unauthenticated page they continue they continue to use the service authenticated like, hey i'm fine i just logged yeah. in right <laughs> so um so, so how do you when you so when you're defending against that i just had a question about like the token so if the token's been snatched by somebody who shouldn't have it can you detect that on your service and how do you go about doing that? I mean, obviously you might have the legitimate user logged in then, and then you have an attacker logged in too. So that would be a, dis is that a discrepancy that can be It's not detected? a discrepancy because for all IDPs, session concurrency and session roaming are, are expected behaviors, right? Like I can yeah. log in to multiple devices via an IDP. Uh, you know, I'm logged in right now from my mobile device and, and from my from my laptop. Um, in our in our case, there are certain signals every time you uh, authenticate to a new application from the Okta dashboard um, that will obviously detect the fact that it's a new device, new IP, et cetera, et cetera, or a velocity yes. challenge, something like that. So um, as long as you're evaluating policy for every resource that's accessed, you can limit the the, the blast radius of, of, of the damage but it's not necessarily going to stop the uh, adversary from getting to that dashboard in the first place from, from right, right. like, like you say, that the only thing that's going to stop them really from authenticating, you know, being it's the, it is the legitimate user that is authenticating. The only thing that's going to stop them in the first place is a phishing resistant authenticator. That's where, that's where it has to be stopped. And this is where this is where it's going. This is really exciting because not only is this good for enterprises, but it's going to come down into this sort of consumer level as well. I think I saw something today that it was, I believe it was one password had set up a demo to a, basically a passwordless authentication. I mean, it's a very sort of rigged demo that they have, but they wanted to show consumers how basically going from your fingerprint to a web service can be seamless, right? It's authenticated because you are who you are. You have what you have. Um, which is really quite exciting. And Okta's done a lot of work in this space too. I mean, tell me about tell me about your FIDO authenticators and is that being, is, are you seeing uptake in, with that in spite of these, some uh, in light of these, uh, you know, us cookie catching, <laughs> yeah. cookie catchers and things like that? Well, definitely there's been a, a pretty marked uh, increase in interest in phishing resistant authenticators lately, not just because of these phishing kits, but be also because of malware, obviously. The, the top 20 malware strains you know, uh, uh, listed by CISA for, for last year, all of those had modules capable of extract, extracting session cookies from an infected device. And not only that, but also then when they sell those uh, cookies, they're often selling them with a browser plugin that mimics the, the configuration of the 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 device uh, that it was stolen from. So right. Clever, yeah. really, really quite... Um, simple but very effective you think about redline stealer raccoon stealer some of this kind of generic info stealer malware that's now offered as a service um, to less sophisticated actors um, that's probably where the majority of the action is and then real-time phishing kits uh, alongside it um, what we have uh, what we've 
been trying to push, I guess, for the last few years has been obviously photo authenticators. So um, roaming authenticators in the first instance, uh, security keys. Then we have a number of customers, particularly those kind of born in the cloud Silicon Valley companies that we serve that are wall-to-wall security keys, right? They use they use nothing but, um, and that is, that's a pretty big logistical challenge in terms of enrollment and factor revocation and that kind of thing. Um, but there are, there are case studies out there there are companies that have done it. They don't tend to be companies with with deep tech legacy to deal with, though. Yeah, Cloudflare, because um, Cloudflare, when when that happened to Twilio, Cloudflare said that it deployed those keys, and that largely would stop uh, them from having any other issues. Exactly. Yep. Um, and in the last few uh, in the last few years as well, platform based authenticators, so you know web authen, but using the uh, the built in secure secure enclave and and your biometric checks and your in your devices that's been a lot um that's been amazing for a lot of enterprise because of course now they don't have to worry about the expense and the logistics of physical security keys but it did have a few um a few issues challenges in the sense that you had to have uh each user enroll the authenticator on a per OS per browser basis. So from the same device, if I use a different browser, I'd have to re-enroll the web authenticator for that browser. Right, right. It's that that's, specific, uh, right? that's a bit... Which for, for us is fine for, for, for a user that knows what they're doing, but for yeah. the average person out there in, 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 in the world, it might be a little bit um, tricky. That's what Passkeys, um, you know, is all about trying to solve in a consumer context. Um, what we did was focus on, okay, what, what are the needs that our, our, our enterprise customers have? Well, they want, they want the security of physical security keys, um, but they want it to be something they can roll out really easily. They want it to be cross-platform, you know, doesn't matter what operating system, Windows, Mac, iOS, Android, they want it to be the same, same experience. They want to have um, easy enrollment and easy factor revocation because that's the kind of process stuff that results in heaps of help desk tickets that you want to kind of cut down on. Yep. So about eight months ago, we pushed out something called FastPass. It is a FIDO-like experience. It, it, it's, it's using the same principles. It's checking the origin of, of, uh, of what you're authenticating to. It, it's device-bound, right? So you just that's have right. to enroll the device. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. right. Endpoint agent, uh, device-bound. Um, and it means that you know my authentication flow is... Simply my device as an authenticator, plus a biometric check, obviously the biometric data stored locally on, on, on my device. So my authentication process is a scan of my face or a swipe of my finger, and I'm in to, to very sensitive resources. And you're into yeah. an array of apps that have been brokered then by that yep. interaction. Yeah. And and the and the the uh the beauty of that, I guess, is that like I said, a lot of folks won't change to a to a stronger authenticator based only on a threat. As much as I'd like them to, as a guy in the security team, right, right. right. <laughs> it needs to be the user experience that drives them to it, or they just won't do it. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah, we've we've had that available for about eight months. I think we're doing about four million authentications a month so far, which is chicken feed in in octa terms, but the rate of growth is extreme, and every customer is requesting it. Um, and this uh, is for mostly cloud-based apps, right? Because I know that you wrote about last month also too, that there's just a range of authentication scenarios right now, depending on if you're using on-premises stuff and legacy things. Tell me a little bit about those sort of complications. Um, it, it can still be used for, um, you know, we have various agents that can allow, allow you to use an Okta sign-in for 
remote access to to a Windows device, or you know, the, the, it, we we can kind of plumb back into the legacy um, uh, from from a cloud IDP, but um, but yeah, that that is a challenge for a lot of organisations where they have, uh, I guess, a history of of systems that require that basically require passwords and aren't um, SAML or OpenID Connect compatible. So that's where we have to go in and roll in access gateways that that can basically perform that translation function. So there, right. there's there's yeah. a lot of um, there's a lot more work involved with 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 uh, depending on the age of, of the applications and the infrastructure you have in your environment. Um, but these phishing resistant authenticators can still be used at the front door for sure. And so, you know, you wrote in a blog post recently too that um, there was a window that that with if you're using FastPass and somebody ends up at like an attempted phishing attack, there was your logs get like a high fidelity signal, and I didn't completely understand like how that. So you can get some visibility into a live phishing campaign then. Yeah. Um, so yeah, tell me about that. That's that's what's super exciting from a security perspective is that. Because when there is a failed origin check with FastPass, it surfaces an event in the logs, right? It says basically, you know, Jeremy's attempted to authenticate to the legitimate site, but it's passed through a proxy and it's failed. It's failed to gotcha. authenticate okay. because yeah. the origin check uh, didn't match. Um, because that surfaces a unique event in, in system log, it just creates lots of security orchestration opportunities. And the point I was trying to make with that blog post is, Usually when a threat actor comes after your organization, um, they're not coming after you in ones or twos all the time. They're, they're quite often uh, scraping what data they can find about your organization using you know, commercial aggregation services or leak sites or the like. So they might come after hundreds of, of your staff or dozens of your staff. And they'll time it, of course, that they'll be sending out those lures seconds before the uh, the phishing site goes live. So, so a, legally a takedown can only take effect once the site goes live. So they're buying them, you know, they buy themselves the maximum number of minutes they can to make that campaign effective. Yeah. Now, if, if you are using FastPass and you have one of these detections against one of your users that's passwordless, then that's really powerful because in a lot of organizations, yeah, most organizations now are still only only have a subset of their users passwordless. They're introducing new groups of users as they onboard new staff. They have a different bootstrap authenticator than a password. And they're in a group that doesn't require a password and hopefully never will. Um, those folks, if there is a detection there, well, it basically tells you we're under attack. And the adversary doesn't necessarily know which of your users is using a phishing resistant authenticator and which is not. Oh, right. So right, yeah. It's creating an opportunity for you to say, so I, I wrote a basic workflow that took that event and said, check whether any other user in the last few hours has authenticated via that same uh, infrastructure. Because if they have, you know, using you know, uh, authenticators that could be phished, uh, then we need to quickly uh, revoke that session, potentially reset the, the user's password, block future uh request via that infrastructure. So and have you been able to write that workflow? And that that's that's the way it would work. It would go, yeah. okay, well, this and is it basically yeah, means yeah. that you know your phishing your users with phishing resistant authenticators are kind of like a canary for everyone else. Is that exactly yeah we know we're yeah. under attack. 
and you can write these automated, you know, or, or orchestration events. And a mutual friend of ours I was talking through with with it the other day said, "Oh God, as a security uh, security person, the thought of taking your automated actions where you're immediately revoking sessions and resetting passwords gives me the heebie-jeebies a bit." Um, as much as I agree with that, if you can get enough confidence, like in 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 these kind of detections, it's it's not particularly problematic for a user to to revoke their sessions, right? And, and your, your, your colleague was he worried about, or or she? Were they worried about um, false positives then, where somebody's going to yeah, go, yeah. Oh, what right, if, right, if yeah. there are false positives yeah. and you're you know you're you're revoking sessions and resetting passwords? And I, I get that for resetting passwords, but for for revoking sessions, we do it all the time. Sure, inside yeah. Opta, yeah. we revoke user sessions because the risk signal gets to a point where it's like. You don't want to manually investigate all of those. Just sign the user out. They'll sign back in. If they're the legitimate user, they'll sign back in. Yeah, so yeah. Um, that's the kind of world we're moving to because obviously when an adversary steals a session, it's 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 a time-based piece of access that they've got, right? And, yeah. and if the legitimate user logs out of that session or if an administrator logs them out, they've lost their access. Yeah. So yeah. with that in mind, it's really not that hard. Um, you should. It, it gives you a lot more flexibility as a responder to say, well, when a risk signal reaches a certain level for, for any given session, we drop the session and the user has to re-authenticate. And, and hey, this is what we were promised, SOAR, right? This is SOAR yeah. action, isn't it? Why is everybody's like, oh, I don't know about that. But <laughs> yeah, well, this is kind of SOAR, but from the Okta platform, um, you know, you could, you could just as easily pipe that event to a SOAR and take in a whole bunch of other contexts from endpoint and network. And mm -hmm. That way, your false positive checks are even going to be more, you know, uh, you're going to be off even more confident. So it's something that we can do just using workflows, our kind of no-code automation tool within Okta. But it was really only proof of concept for me to show people, like, when you have phishing-resistant authenticators, it actually helps the other users that are not using phishing-resistant authenticators if you actually... Uh, uh, you know, perform a bit of orchestration on that event. And so just a question of how you detect that proxy then. Are you detecting it because it's saying like, I'm an Okta identity uh, window and, but you know, it's actually not because you can see the IP behind it. Is that how that works? It's the, it's, it's, it's the same principle that, that FIDO authenticators work from, which is basically there is a cryptographic relationship between the legitimate origin and the, and the authenticator. And when you put something in the middle between that, then, then uh, it, it doesn't meet that check. That's just not it. Right, right, right. And that's why that's the feature of even like consumer password managers is that it's not going to enter your password unless that is exactly yeah. the that is exactly the site. Yeah. And so, so once yeah. you get that, uh, when you when you figure that proxy is malicious, then at that point, is that when you can do broader notification to the, like the threat intelligence community too and other lists and things like that? Absolutely. Assuming that it's that it's not, assuming that it's uh something that isn't just targeted at you. I mean, if it's specifically targeted at your organization, you might want to perform uh, perform a little analysis before you go uh, sending that intelligence off to everyone else. But um, if it's something quite generic, then yeah, I mean, just just let everyone know straight away. Um, but yeah, it's it's um, we we tend to find that these that these phishing sites um, don't have long don't have a long life. And are relatively targeted. At least, I guess the ones that we see against our customers are relatively targeted. Um, there are generic, you know, uh, 
kits that are themed around a specific web application uh, for which 90% of the world would use that web application, well, yeah, that's something that where the intelligence becomes super useful to everyone else straight away. Um, but yeah, it'll depend on the circumstance. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about um, MFA fatigue too. Like MFA, uh, push MFA without number challenge seems absolutely crazy to me uh, now uh, just because of-, of, of But it didn't 12 months ago, did it? But it didn't. And that's me. I guess that's a kind of amazing too. It's like, well, okay, now we've got something. It's like, well, you still, you know, it's 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 something you have, right? It meets one of the, one of the um, sort of- I guess, tenets for like strong authentication. But now it seems really crazy that you could just get somebody really tired hitting that. And then you basically just need a credential pair to get in. I mean, is that, is there, is there widespread aware? Is that kind of a thing that people are sort of aware about now? And like, are people turning on, I guess, number challenge now after seeing what happened? It's, I think number challenge is great. And, and, and I think that I'm really glad to see that Microsoft's making that the default at their end. Um, um, it's something that we that we tell customers to use if they're concerned about push fatigue. I haven't seen so much of it, right? So I I I wondered whether we were making too big a deal of it, even just because it had been used in some high profile incidents. I thought, yeah. well, just because you know that that isn't that doesn't necessarily mean it's it's the attack that worries me. I was far more worried about you know real time phishing proxies because there were fewer answers, you know, in, in terms of folks having a defense against it. Um, Whereas there's a lot you can do for MFA fatigue. You can, one, the the, the the range of available context in a push notification has improved over time. Uh, and that and this this goes across Duo Microsoft Octo. We, we've introduced a bunch of changes lately so you can see the application name, the URL. It'll even change the, 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 the text at the top if there's anything anomalous about the source of that uh of that push request. So there's right, right. There's a lot of context there that you can teach your users about, but you know, security awareness campaigns don't tend to be very control specific. They talk about password hygiene. They don't often talk about, hey, when you get a push notification, read it. It should. Um, Why don't they do that? <laughs> it's security awareness, isn't it? You know, because you worked it, in that is, field for a long time. It is uh it is there is a lot of context there with which you could, you know, where you can make uh uh uh, an assessment about whether or not, whether or not that is indeed something that you initiated. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. I actually was pretty surprised. Uh, Microsoft puts out this report called Digital Defense Report every year. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but I think it's a pretty good document, and, and I really applaud particularly their identity team for some of the stats that they put out. But they were saying that they're seeing something like 30,000 MFA fatigue attacks against Authenticator every month, which really? blew my mind because that's yeah. compared to only about a thousand real-time phishing kits and at that scale i can get why people are worried but i guess we just weren't seeing it at that scale so i wasn't as uh i wasn't as alert to it um i i think that push with number challenge is great but i also feel like you're only stemming the stemming one you're addressing one form of bypass of which there are a dozen sure, so why not sure. just move to yeah. phishing resistant authenticators Right, right, yeah. Do you know what I'm? Do you know what I mean? Like you can you can worry about that specific form of attack as prolific as it sounds like it is, mm -hmm. and as a temporary step, moving to push with number challenge is not a big deal. I mean, yeah, it's literally in, in the Octa right? console, it's yeah. it's a toggle, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but 
what I really, the message I really want everyone to be hearing is, well, don't just think about that form of MFA, MFA bypass. Think about all of them. And it's really not that bigger investment for attackers to move to uh, real-time uh, phishing proxies. So, uh, you know, go, go the whole way. If you're going to make a change, go the whole way. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, Brett, I want to ask you as a final question, a little bit about pass keys, which is kind of like the consumer sort of facing implementation of, um, of WebAuthn and FIDO. Tell me, where, where does that stand right now? What are we going to see in that area? It's going to be an absolute game changer for consumer access to applications. Because if a, you know, if, if, if a, a company comes to me today and says, what's the strongest authentication I can provide for for my users, my, my consumer users logging in, of course I'd like them to use WebAuthn, but it's it's fairly um, it's fairly involved in, in terms of enrollment, and a lot of people just don't understand it. What Passkeys is going to deliver is an ability to have those uh, your keys transferable between devices, and that's the, that's the key, right? So you can have a, you can have security keys. For, across your iCloud account, for example, or the, or the Microsoft equivalent, um, and potentially with a little bit of work between those ecosystems, um, which is amazing in a consumer context because you imagine you now have some security keys that you can use for just about any web service further further down the track once this matures. And if I create um, it on my phone, that automatically means I can log in on the desktop as well. Exactly. That yeah. That's that's the idea. That's the direction it's going. Now, it's very, very new. We're so excited from a SIAM, a customer identity perspective about this. In the enterprise, it has some challenges because a lot of folks want your authentication keys to be device bound in the enterprise. They don't necessarily want you to take the keys you use from a managed device and shift them across to an unmanaged device, right? Yes, yes. Uh, that changes the risk profile quite considerably. So there are some issues in, in enterprise adoption of this, um, which again is why we went out on our own to, to create FastPass as, as, as an enterprise alternative. But um, we think that on the, on the consumer front, what this will do is change the mindset. It could be another one of those times in computing history where, again, the consumer experience is, is so much better than the workplace experience. Right, right, yeah. And, you yeah. know, that really changes things. I, I'm sure you remember like 10 or 15 years ago, my authentication experience outside of the workplace was so much better than inside. Yeah. And Okta was probably the first time where I was like, hey, wait a second. Now I now I hate using my password manager in 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 the consumer context because I hate passwords and I don't want to use them and I don't have to use them at work. Um, but I think this is gonna, you know, this is gonna shift a lot of people's thinking when they see how easy it is. So you'll even have browsers where you'll it'll still have the username and password field. But you'll be able to right click or something and it'll say use my passkey instead. Yeah, yeah. Basically, so it won't even have to change the modal. It won't have to change the user experience, but you'll be you'll have passwordless access to, to consumer applications. That will be amazing. And I really hope that some of the big and not, uh, not only the convenience though, it's the security benefit because account takeover suddenly goes away at that yeah. point, right? All that this problem that has been around for ages now and just seems to grow worse is gone, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it it sets the bar so high that adversaries are going to have to think about very, you know, alternative routes to, to, to compromise user accounts. And you think about all the services today where we don't have even any MFA at all. There's some super and insurance 
providers in this company that in this country that don't even provide, you know, don't right. even require MFA. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I find that unbelievable. Well, well, they're going to have a path to providing secure, you know, very, very secure forms of authentication. And then I think about, you know, digital citizen identity and, and that kind of thing. Using things like pass keys, I think it's if if we're reviewing as we are in many states and territories at the moment, how we do digital identification, I think that that looking at things like pass keys, uh, supporting something like pass keys is super important. Awesome, Brett. Well, thank you very much for joining me. Awesome, Jeremy. Thank you for the chat. It was great. I've been speaking with Brent Winterford, who's the Regional Chief Security Officer with Okta in Asia, Pacific, and Japan. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk.